I know some of us have uh, already been on holiday. I know Keith and Melanie enjoyed a lovely sunny time in North Wales. When I was a child, one of the places we used to go on holiday uh, was down to Devon. And my mother and father would uh, take me to all these sort of really quaint little coastal villages, your Polperos and your Loos and all that sort of place. And as a, as a memento of um, going, we ended up with something which, um, yes, still seems to be quite popular for my searches on the internet, called the Rules of the Inn. Something like 1786, and you could get this on a nice scroll, or you could have it on your tea towel. And, uh, you know, so my mum and dad bought this back, you know, not stick a rock, we'll buy a tea towel with the Rules of the Inn. And I don't know if this would be mum's hint that I needed to behave better, but apparently the rules of the inn are no thieves, fakirs, rogues, or tinkers, no skulking loafers, loafers or flea-bitten tramps. Anybody out yet? No, no. No slap and tickle of the wenches, no banging of tankards on the table. Oh, you want to bang your tankard? No, you want to slap and tickle your wench? Okay. Only your wench. Okay. No, no, we can't do the slapping bit either. So, tickle bit. Yeah, okay. No dogs allowed in the kitchen. No cockfighting. And if you bought your flintlock, your cudgel, your dagger, or your sword, that's to be handed to the innkeeper for safekeeping. If you want a bed for the night, that's a shilling. Uh, for those of you who weren't born in 1971, that's 5B. Okay. And stabling for your horse was four pence. Two P. No. Yes. No. One. Yeah, one P. Two. One P. Yes. The rules of the inn. And we had this up in our house. Now, I'm not sure they were the rules that my, my mum actually wanted me to, to follow. So if it became flea-bitten, she might have been had a good reason to throw me out. But in any house we tend to find there's rules. There's things that we need to understand how that house works. We need to understand the boundaries within that house. We need to understand the things that are, the owner expects, the type of behaviour they expect, the things that if we don't do, they're going to cause offence, or if we do do, they're going to cause offence. Some of them are unspoken. Some of them are sort of in the details somewhere. Some of them are the thing you ask as you first come in the door. Is it a shoes on or a shoes off house? Good to ask. Doesn't it cause offence? Rather than you walk around with your muddy boots, who some of you have done in our house. <laughs> Last time we invite some of you to a bonfire. <laughs> that we have rules. So this morning, now I've, I've, oh, John and David are here. So some, some rules can be quite, quite, um, yeah, we don't understand them. So I've, with, with summer coming, and with David and John both here, I've got a set of rules. And see if you can guess what these rules are for. 
You have two sides. One out in the field and one in. Each man that's in the side that's in goes out. And when he's out, he comes in. And the next man goes in till he's out. When they're all out, the side that's out comes in. And the side that's been in goes out and tries to get those coming in out. Sometimes you get men still in and not out. When both sides have been in and out, including the not outs, that's the end of the game. Cricket season's coming. Glad you understood that. Okay, so we're going to look at some of the things that are rules in this house, but not just this house, in the house of God. And we're going to be particularly looking at things to do with money. Let's see if there's any squelchy bits under here. Okay. Lots of squelchy bits. Now, last year, going back to holidays, um, Ali and I and our oldest son went to stay on the Isle of Mull. And we looked at Mull and we thought, that's not very big. We'll be able to see all of that island within the week that we're there. Well, having driven from the ferry, we soon discovered that it took us nearly an hour to get to where we're staying because of all the single track roads. And we soon decided that we weren't going to be able to see the whole thing. But we've been away with people who like to try and fit in as much as they can, and so they scurry around the whole of the area that they're staying in. They travel miles and miles and miles. So as they come to this subject, the problem is it's a big subject. So we're going to do a bit of a journey, but we're only going to take in some of the highlights. Now, these might not be your favorite highlights, and I do apologize for that. There might be some good places that we have to just pass on the way because we haven't got time to stop there now. I was laughing with Kate as I was preparing this. Kate, don't know, lives with us. So I have, I have two envelopes now, Kate. So I've opened this envelope, and these are all the ones that we're not talking about today. Because Kate just saw this table full of these bits of paper of all the things we could potentially talk about. So they're the sites we're not seeing today. We're just going to stick with some of the ones that I think we should be looking at. Okay, so I do apologise if this journey's a bit quick. I do apologise if we miss out some of the things you think we should have in. I do apologise in advance if, I, if we don't concentrate on something you think we should be concentrating on. But let's see where God takes us on this journey. And he's already started to take us on the journey by Helen. I thought Helen was preaching my message. Cheating, cheating. Okay. So I'm going to start in Psalm 24. Aha. Excellent. See, oh, I, will, I will also warn you, and those of you who've been in the Connect group with me will know this. This is going to be a bit of a tour of the Bible. I haven't bought my road atlas to go on this tour where we're going. This is the Bible. So we've got lots of verses. Ryan is going to try and keep up with where we're going to end up. Um, he's got a bit of a head start, so thank you very much, Ryan, for doing that. Okay, so the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Simple statement. 
The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's not ours, it's his. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And I'm going to try and read this because I would love to sing this. But I'm, Maggie, you can start this one up as well if you want. This is good one. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 10. It says this. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalting as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. All his. Everything in heaven and earth is his. And all that we have comes from him. Wealth and honor come from you. We read down a bit further in verse 14. David goes on to say, or he goes on to say, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Some of us this morning, as Andy was speaking, generously came and gave. Where does that come from? Everything comes from you. That's from God. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Even what we give comes from God. All that we have comes from God. And what we give comes from God. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 7. Sorry, 17, just in case Ryan was panicking. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. I'm a self-made man. I've created all this. I've done all this. It's me. Okay. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. There isn't a self-made man or a self-made woman. It's God that gives the ability to produce wealth. And what we have, and what God has given us, and the ability that God's given us, that's to be used. Now, being conscious of time already, because we've got a long distance to go. I'm not going to read the whole of this passage, 
But in Matthew 25, it talks about an owner who gives gifts, who gives talents. The owner's going away, and he gives these talents, and he gives five to some people, two to some people, and one to some people. And when he comes back, he looks for return on those talents from those gifts. And we're going to read, here we go. Thank you very much, Ron. Uh, in verse 20 and 21 of Matthew chapter 25, it says, well, just in verse 19, it says, after a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents bought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. In Luke 16 and verse 10, which don't panic, Ryan, you haven't got this one. It says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. It's not the amount that we've got. It's what we do with it that counts. See, I'm talked about the one, the one with the one talent, because the one with the one talent, it talks about how he, he just buried it. He didn't do anything with it. And when the master came back, he just went, here you are. And the master, well, it talks about how he treated him, that he didn't, he wasn't pleased with the fact he just got back. So we each have been given talents. We each have been given a degree of money. It's what we do with it. In Luke 21, there's a story of the widow's might. And we tend to concentrate on the fact that this widow gives a very small amount, and we've got all these people going, oh, look how much I'm giving. The widow was faithful with the little that she had, much more than the people with more money. They were just known for show. They weren't being faithful. She was being faithful with what she had. So be trustworthy with what God has given you. So let's see where we've been so far on our little journey. It's all his. All come from him. All that we have is from him. The whole earth is his. He has honoured us by giving us a share. It all comes from him. Even what we give comes from him. We are challenged to be faithful with what we have whether it's big amount or a little amount. Big amount or a little amount. 
we're also challenged to be content. Philippians chapter 4, and starting at verse 11. This is Paul speaking, writing to the church of Philippi. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Challenge to us, isn't it? We had a meal with some people on uh, Friday evening, and someone within that meal sort of said, was sort of asking us what our expectations were and talking about how people's expectations have changed over the generations. That there's almost a, a, we've got this right to have all these endless things. And we've lost within that the ability to be content with what we've got. There's always a hunger for more and that more never satisfies the hunger. 1 Timothy 6, very well known. I don't know if that was on the list, Ryan. Do apologize if it wasn't. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 says this Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. We need to be content. And in that contentment, just as a little side road, we don't, we've got to watch on guard our hearts to not be jealous of God's generosity to others. In Matthew chapter 20, there's a story, a parable that Jesus told of the um, owner of a vineyard who was looking for workers to work in that vineyard. So he goes out into the marketplace and he meets, early in the morning, he, he meets people and say, are you willing to work? Yes. How much are you going to pay in? And the owner says, I will pay you this much. I can't remember the figure now, a denario, two denario, ten denario, whatever, whatever. I'll pay you 50 pounds, let's say, we'll, we'll go for the figure. 
those people go to work happy because that's what they, yep, they're getting paid that. Great, good deal for the day. A little later in the day, the owner of the vineyard realizes he needs some more laborers. So he goes back into the marketplace. So first lot, early in the morning. Second lot, we go early afternoon. This is what comes, I'm not reading the whole story, making up as we go along. This is what I people will be telling me, no, I remember your message, but you got that wrong, it wasn't there. Okay, the principle is he went back later in the day and said, all right, anybody want to work? And there were people in the marketplace and they said, yes, we'll work. How much are you going to work for? Oh, 50 pounds for the rest of the day. Oh, deal, we'll do that. And then even later in the day, and I think it talks about even at the 11th hour of the day, so the last thing in the day, he still goes into the marketplace and says, anybody want to come work for me? Yes, we'll come. How much are you going to pay us? 50 pounds. Well, hold on a minute. The ones over here who are going to work for an hour are going to be paid the same as the ones over here who are going to work all day. And the ones over here find out what the ones over there are getting, and they are not happy bunnies. Yet, they had made a contract to say, we're happy to work for that amount. It was only the generosity of the vineyard owner, they became jealous. And it's easy for us to look around and compare with other people. Ooh, they've got lots. We've got little. You don't know. I quite often do it with cars. We drive quite an old car now. God blessed us with that car in an amazing way. We can't afford to replace it. It just carries on. That's great. But I look at cars and I think, God, how can they afford that new car? Well, there are some who can afford that new car because they aren't tithing. There are some... You know what I'm thinking of as well, don't you? But we won't go there. Somebody, it's not been in this church now. Ooh, I can, they can afford all those new things because they're not honoring God with their money. Ooh, should I be jealous of them? No, there's some people who never own a car. They just constantly lease it. So why am I leasing? Well, I've got my own car. Now, okay, we're getting the argument of which is the best way to finance cars, but we shouldn't be comparing what we have with what other people have got. God wants us to be content. God wants us to be faithful with what he's given us, whether it's a big, small amount or a big amount. And ultimately, I put down here, nothing in, nothing out. We brought nothing into the world. We're going to take nothing out of it. All right, before I get too sidetracked, let's move on somewhere else. Okay, one of my favorite stories. We're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 17. And... Uh, Chapter 17, verses 7 to 16. Okay, Marina, Elijah here. Uh, Elijah has been fed by ravens. Uh, it says, and God provided him a brook to drink from in the midst of a drought. And it says, sometime later, the brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath's side and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? 
As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for your own and yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel said, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. We have a God of limitless supply. Going back a number of years now, um, yeah, about 20 years, I was made redundant. I was out of work for, turned out to be six months. Slightly more. In being made redundant, I had a lump of money. And that lump of money, Ali, Ali was working, not in the elevated job that she ended up in, but in quite a, a low-paid job. We had three very small children. We had a house to run and all the normal expenses. We did not have any savings. And we had this lump of money. And the jar of oil jar of flour and the jug of oil did not run dry because out of that lump of money every month we would pay me a salary every month I was out of work we would pay me a salary and out of that salary we would tithe and we would give and the jug the jar and the jug only ran out the day that I got another job or the day I got paid and get that other job. God has got limitless supply. He's not going to let you down. Many years ago, I can remember Johnson Smith talking on what have become some of my favorite verses in the Bible. And they're in Luke. Chapter 5, verse 4 to 7. When I say favorite verses, it's more, it's more that what they're saying has become something that God has just etched into my heart. So Luke chapter 5, verse 4 to 7. So well, we'll actually go to... Yeah, so Jesus has um, met Simon and some of the fishermen. He's borrowed on the boats. He's sat down in the boat. He's taught the people. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. 
Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. God is not short of ways to supply our needs. He is not limited to a particular way. He will not necessarily provide for you in the way that he provides for somebody else. These guys had been out fishing. They had caught zilch, zero, zippo. They'd labored hard, got nothing. Jesus borrows boats, then says, go on, go out, cast your nets. The thing that struck me as I reread this earlier this week is that Simon had only just met Jesus, but he says, because you say, I'll do it. He immediately recognized in Jesus somebody you could trust and somebody who maybe wasn't efficient, but they knew, I'm going to follow what he says. God is not limited in the way that he will supply. One of the prophetic words that came earlier on this year was that we shouldn't assume that we've seen God work in certain ways and we shouldn't assume that by doing certain things we'll get God to work. This is one interpretation of that, whatever God spoke to you through that word, that this is just one interpretation, that we shouldn't assume that God's going to provide for us in the way that he's always provided for us or the way that we expect him to. I want to do Monty Python, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition, but that's probably not appropriate these days. But we need to expect the unexpected, that God will take us by surprise. He is not limited in the way that he will provide for us. Okay, next stop on our little journey is the fact that in obedience is provision. Sometimes God will say to us, do this. He'll lay it on our hearts. He'll say, do this. And we will wait for him to provide everything we need to do that thing and then wonder why all that stuff hasn't arrived. In Genesis chapter 22, we read the story of um, Abraham and Isaac. So Isaac, through Isaac, God had promised to create nations. But then God had said to Abraham, take Isaac and uh, sacrifice him. Give him up. And he says in verse 8, as they're going up the, uh, up the hill, Isaac's sort of looking around going, uh, okay, well, I can uh, see the wood uh, for the uh, fire. Uh, I can see you brought the fire with you. Um, 
where's the sacrifice that we're going to put on top of this wood? And in verse 8, Abraham says this, God himself will provide the sacrifice. And as we get further into the chapter, as Abraham is about to go through with this emotionally terrible thing, but he, 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 something that God's asked him to do, it says this, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. And that's not Jehovah Jireh, I'm sitting here waiting for God. That's I'm doing what God's asked me to do and God's provision just comes sweeping in. And it says, and to this day it is said, on the mount of the Lord, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God's asking to do something. If he's leading you in a certain direction, don't expect everything to be there on day one for you to be able to walk in that direction. But be sure of this. On the mount of the law, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. As you are obedient to God, it will be provided. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Yeah, okay, there's, a, there's another story, but we're going to miss that one out, which is the, in, back again in Kings, there's a widow who has oil. I don't know if you remember, that this is with Elisha, I think this one is, that it, Elisha says, what have you got? And she has jars. I've got a little oil, and he says, go and find some jars. And the jars just keep filling and filling and filling. As we do what God wants us to do, as we use what we have to do, he will provide. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Jehovah Jireh. Okay. You'd be happy to know I've turned my page. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4. You know, sometimes we... we um, we're very good at Christians of taking verses out of context to suit our um, to suit our purposes. Um, so we're just going to quickly look at Philippians chapter four, and we're going to start at verse fourteen. Yet it was good for of you that's the Philippian church, to share in my troubles. That's Paul's troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. I just want to do a quick... Uh, sometimes... 
our giving isn't just a one-off. Sometimes we need to give again. Quite often we sort of, oh, that's touched my heart, I'll give to that, and we walk away and think we're done. You know, and God can quite, sometimes we'll come and sit on our shoulder and go, you need to give to that again, you need to give to that again. Some of us have done this morning to Andy. It might be in a few weeks' time, you go to Andy, how can I bless that church? You know, we, we can't just, dis- sometimes it is that our responsibility is a one-off gift, but sometimes it is that we take ownership of it and we give and we give and we give. I know that this church faithfully through the 40 years has given faithfully to Kerry and to the work of what is now Ministries Out Borders. We give and we give again and we give again and we give again. We don't just go, well, you know, back in 1998, we gave 2,000 pounds, that'll do, and we walk away. No, sometimes we've got to just keep giving. Sidetrack, go back to them. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I receive full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. As they have given, so Paul is saying, and God, as you have given, God will meet all your needs. Woe to us that we're very careful with that verse because sometimes we're sort of, ooh, I need this, God will provide all my needs. But the context is that these guys have just been giving and giving and giving and God will provide. Okay. Got rid of my little sidetrack. That's all right. Moving on. So let's just recap. It's all his. What we've been given needs to be used, and we need to be faithful in that. We need to be content. We've got a God of the limitless supply, a God who's not short in ways of supplying. In obedience is provision. Let's look in. Uh, you knew we'd come on to this, but we're going to get into Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Just as a, just a bit of, I always thought, why the heck do I want a lap full of, I mean, that's just, but actually in that time, it was the garments that they wore, the pockets were in the lap. So the pockets were like across the front. So in saying poured into your lap, it's almost saying, God, you give, I'll fill your pockets. It's quite a contrast. Empty pockets. No, God wants to fill them. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 8. Remember this. Maybe that's a warning to us because we've heard this plenty of times. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Helen quoted that this morning. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Those who have been in the church long enough will remember Dave Gregg taking up an offering, playing the laughing policeman song. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Measure for measure. Sometimes you think, oh God, God, you're just being a bit stingy with me here. Well, hold on a minute. Maybe that's because the measure that you're getting is the measure that you're using to give. God has given us, I love that, I love that verse eight there. God has given us the ability and the provision to be generous. Again, don't forget, we're not talking about people with a lot, though it could be, but even with a little, it's how we use that, it's how we use that gift and that talent that God's given us. God has given us the ability to be generous. Staying in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, which is what Helen quoted. Read it. Helen read it this morning. Every man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. We need to be straight in our giving. I did have another little sidetrack, which is in the other pack. But we also need to fulfill the commitments that we've made in giving. Some of us this morning, as Dave or Jeff has encouraged, might put a pledge in for Andy's, the offering we took there for Andy. You need to redeem that pledge. And I speak from personal experience that Ali and I, a number of years ago, made a pledge at a Bible week in a heap offering that we would give so much money. In faith, we were there. Yes, we're going to give this. Oh, poo, how the heck are we going to give that? And we got a very nice letter from somebody at Ministries Out Boards or whatever. You pledged to give. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about how last year we were keen to give. You need to continue in that and fulfill the promise that you have made. That's just a slight detour. Okay, we need to be straight in our giving. We're not going to read this, but there's a story in Acts chapter 5, which is one of the scariest stories in the Bible. And it's in the New Testament. There's lots of things in the Old Testament you think, blooming, that's a bit blood and gory. But this is the New Testament. This is at the time where it talks about the believers having everything in common, that they share things, they they realized that the things that they had were the things that God had provided for them, but they were for the use of everybody in the body. So the fact that you had a piece of land and there was a need in the body, you went and sold that piece of land. A guy called Barnabas 
did it. And he bought the money and he laid it at the disciples' feet. Immediately after talking about Barnabas and how this son of encouragement had done this thing, there's a story of Ananias and Sapphira, who also had some land, sold it, and pulled a fast one. Because they lied about how much they'd sold it for. They determined that they, well, all of this isn't for everybody else. This is, this is some of it's ours. Everything's God's, don't forget. This is ours. And they lied. And they both died. And it talks after that. Great fear was among the disciples. Okay. Let's move on to the next one. Malachi chapter 3. Helen nicked me message. Are you sitting here lying to your fellow brothers and sisters who sit here? Are you... I'm going to just move on to those verses, right? Malachi chapter 3. Thanks. Are you robbing God... But not just robbing God, are you robbing me? Are you robbing Keith? Are you robbing Mike? John, Graham, Josh, Maureen. By not bringing the tithe. It isn't bringing an offering. This is God's. Don't forget, we started off with everything is God. God's. What you have is God's. God has given it to you. God's given you the talents. God's given you the money. It's his. It's not that 90% is ours and 10% is his. Though some of, and some of us are doing this deal. Mm, 10%. I think God can work out 10%. Mm. If I earn £10,000, if I earn £20,000, uh, oh God, if I give you... Um, if I give you... Uh, oh, 200 pounds. That 10%? No, it's nowhere near 10%. God's not dim at maths. God knows. But the problem is, it talks in this verse is how we're robbing God, but we're also robbing ourselves. That we're robbing each other and we're robbing ourselves because, as Helen read for us, it talks about. God just wants to open the floodgates of heaven. And why do we, through our actions, Helen talked about how this is one of the few times where God gives us the permission to test him. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I'll not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And it's not just there. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says this, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. 
the danger is that we've done this deal. The danger is we're trying to convince ourselves. And because God doesn't do what he did to Ananias and Sapphira, we think, got away with that one. Everything we have is from God. It isn't that just the 10% is God's. It's all God's. Dave and Jeff and I were, were um, laughing about um, the bishop in Cuba. We have, for those of you who don't know, we have a relationship with the, the message church over in, in Cuba, Bishop Ricardo. And God has done amazing things through this relationship. Some of the practices are a little interesting. Now, over here, we would think some of the practices in the Methodist Church are like, ooh, so liberal. I mean, heck, have they forgotten what the Bible's about? And the answer might be yes. But in the Bishop's Church, he will actually name names of people who are not bringing the full tithe into the house. So, I've got a book. <laughs> no. It's not, it's not a fun thing. It, it's, we need to honour God with what he's given us. We need to bring the first fruits. We need to stop robbing him, robbing ourselves, and robbing each other. I'm going to close with something that has been blessing me richly uh, recently which is, and we're going back to the Old Testament, starting in the Old Testament. I'll spend a bit of time in the Old Testament. And where's my piece of paper? There we go. And this is in Exodus 35. Okay, so we're not going to read the whole of the chapter. We're just going to quickly, in the two minutes, I'm going to finish. Okay. This is, this is God. God has given instructions for the tabernacle. So that's him coming and saying, I want to live amongst you, and this is how we're going to do it. And in verse 2, it says, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering. And it then goes on to talk about the various things that they can bring to the Lord. Verse 20 says, then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and those whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the tent, for the work on the tent of the meeting. Verse 22 says, All who were willing, men and women alike. Verse 29 says, All the Israelite men and women who were willing, bought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses has commanded them to do. When we move over into chapter 36, verse 4 says this, All the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order, 
I'd love to give this order. And they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing more because they had already had, because they already had, sorry, because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. They were restrained from bringing it. Don't give too much. Because they caught the vision. Because they saw what was happening. Andy stood here this morning, shared his heart about a small church in Romania that's reaching out to its community. And people caught that heart. And because they caught that heart, they went, I'll give something to that. Out of the money God's trusted me with, I will give some of that to that. Because they caught that heart. Verse 29 said, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord, through Moses, had commanded them to do. They saw, they caught the vision. They knew what was happening. They were going to give to that. There's a line in a song, um, which is called Hosanna, which says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. We need to let God break our hearts for what breaks his so that it might break the chains on our wallets and purses and bank accounts on that money that's his so that we can express and give for the things that God wants us to do the things that he is trying to do in this world. So, do apologise. Slightly later than we should be. It's all his. What we have has been given to us by him. We need to be faithful with that. We need to be content. We have a God of limitless supply. A God who's not short on ways to supply. It's in the obedience that the provision comes Measure by measure, the measure you give is the measure you receive. Be straight in your giving. Keep the floodgates of heaven open. And give to the vision. So that's a quick tour. There is miles more. I'm just going to pray, and then we're closing. Father, we just thank you for your generosity to us. Father, we acknowledge that it is all yours, that we are just undeserving of it. You have chosen to give us so much. And Father, we again just want to say, it's yours. Open our hearts that we might give, we might be such a generous people, and through our generosity, your kingdom would expand and grow. Through our generosity, there would be no need in the house. That through our generosity, your message would reach to places where at the moment it can't because of lack of money. 
Father, that you would stir us up, that you would allow us to be honest, that you would allow us to sit at your feet and let you tell us how we stand with you in terms of our tithes and our offerings and our giving and our use of the talents that you've given us. That, Father, we might know what it is for the floodgates of heaven to open and for our lamps to be saturated, our pockets to be filled, that we might be a people who always have enough to do the things that you'd have us do and to reach the people you'd have us reach and to give to the people you'd have us give to. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we thank you that we can come and we can say sorry. And we can come and commit ourselves afresh in this area of life to follow the rules of your house. Thank you, Lord. Amen.